such a wonderful promise, isn't it? No longer slaves to fear. Why? Because we belong to God, and we're in His family. And uh, that's what we want to communicate to you if you're new here at Windsor Road, that because of Jesus, our elder brother, He has rescued us and He has brought us, He has brought us into God's wonderful family. And uh, we're here to celebrate that each Sunday here at the church. So if this is your first Sunday here, my name is Randy. We're delighted to have you here as a part of our worship service. I'm going to be in the fireside room just out through these glass doors and to the right. I'd love to spend some time with you, a few moments in prayer, and uh, hear a little bit about your story. And um, I want to encourage you this morning. Um, As a part of our worship service, we always have a group Bible study. And so we're going to do that right now. And uh, I want to begin our time by uh, a quote from a book that's been helpful to me. It's a book that's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And here's the quote. Nothing is more important than learning how to maintain a life of purpose in painful adversity. Nothing is more important than learning how to maintain a life of purpose in painful adversity. And there's been a lot of adversity in our culture lately, hasn't there? Uh, uh, I've been reading story after story after story of just painful adversity in Santa Rosa, California with the fires. Last Sunday night, 50 mile an hour winds propelled fires faster than people could run and they were so hot that uh, car wheels made of aluminum which has a melting point of over a thousand degrees Fahrenheit they turned into puddles Um, one man was killed uh, who did not want to leave without his brand new pickup truck and uh, he couldn't find the keys and so his family you know finally left I'll catch up with you he said he searched frantically Uh, He did not make it out. Um, That's just in Santa Rosa. Uh, Then there's the situation in Puerto Rico, Uh, 15% power. 15% of the island has power. Uh, 10% cell phone reception. A third of the roads are passable. Uh, And all this in 100-degree days. Uh, And then I read about the devastation in Houston and... um, Uh, about in the middle of the hurricane, a police officer just trying to do his job, leaving his house, going to do his duty, he perished because of the uh, hurricane. And then, of course, there was Florida. And then, of course, there was Las Vegas. And we're concerned internationally uh, uh, with other countries, North Korea. Um, And I haven't even gotten to the prayer requests that you all share with us and our staff and our elders uh, every week, prayer requests that deal with cancer and sickness and suffering. It's heavy, isn't it? It's heavy. And nothing is more important than learning how to maintain a life of purpose in the midst of that heaviness, in the midst of that painful adversity. But here's another quote from uh, this book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Um, It's very encouraging, and, and it's this. When pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were. We never were. But someone is, and we're going to talk about that someone this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 77. 
Psalm 77. You'll find that on page 488 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, I'd like you to take that copy that's in the pouch in front of you, put your name in it, and receive it as a gift from our church family. And this psalm helps us answer a question that I want us to look at this morning. And the question is this, what is going to be most helpful in times of painful adversity? What is helpful to our souls? What, what will benefit a heavy soul? Is your soul heavy this morning? Uh, um, I wonder uh, what it would be like if we were to, uh, if we were to, what vehicle would you come in if, if that vehicle reflected the week that you've had? What would that be? Would that be, would that be a limousine? And you'd come in and, and a chauffeur would open that door. Would, would that be it? It might be for some of us. It might be, okay? Uh, uh, some of us, it might be an ambulance. For some of us, it might, we might be wheeling in here in a gurney, you know. And we've got IVs. We've got tubes because we're just barely in survival mode. Well, what, what do we do when... Our heart is burdened to the point of despair and distress. Well, this psalm helps us. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And then there's that word selah, and it means pause. It means just sit in that for a moment. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints 
were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's word. What's meaningful to this psalm is that it forces us to deal with the God who is not as we would like him to be. You know, left to ourselves, we would pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing and give us what we want. and We'd worship some God that we understand. And this psalm forces us to meet the real God. And that's often what adversity drives us to. Adversity drives us away from fantasy and into reality. And that's what we see here in Psalm 77. It's a simple psalm. There's two parts to it. Verses 1 through 9 talk about crying. Crying. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. And then verses 10 through 20 consider the content of our cry. All right? Cry, verses 1 through 9, the content of our cry, verses 10 through 20. Let's talk about crying here for a moment. When painful adversity causes us to cry, when suffering causes distress, uh, God wants us to acknowledge that. God, what I love about the Psalms is that the Psalms, you know, religious people tend to want to deny the rawness of life and, and, and the reality of their own feelings, especially in dark times. And the secular world has made almost an idol of self-expression. But the Psalms, they neither stuff emotion nor ventilate emotion. Instead, the Psalms teach us to pray our emotions, to pray them. And to take them into the presence of the God who is. This psalm came to us by way of one of David's worship ministers. A man by the name of Asaph. You see that there just before verse 1 it says a psalm of Asaph. That's not an editorial add-on by whoever published this Bible. That's part of the original. Asaph was one of David's worship ministers. Now that encourages me for several reasons. Because I think it's really uh, you know, tempting to, to take our time here and... and you know, just solely focus on just, you know, we're here to get our batteries charged. And, well, okay, yeah, kind of. I mean, we want to be inspired, and, and we want to inspire others. And yet, at the, same, at the same time, the main reason why we're here is not to get our do-more-try-harder batteries charged. The main reason why we're here is to acknowledge that our best efforts have brought us to brokenness and weakness we're here to acknowledge that this world is broken and heavy and there is only one person who can fix it. And that's what Asaph is crying out about. I cry out to God, he says, verse 1. In verses 2 and 3, he says, you know, he's tired of pretending that everything is all right. Everything is not all right. It's the day of my trouble. 
You know, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. So it's like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted, yet I can't sleep. Have you been there? So tired, so tired, you can't sleep. And then, you know, you're, you don't have any words. You'd like to pray, but there are, you'd have no words. I'm so troubled, verse 4, that I cannot speak. It's ironic, isn't it? I'm out of words, and yet Asaph has given us this psalm in words. And then Asaph remembers the days of old. Verse 5, the days of the years long ago. Those were the better times, times before trouble, times before the distress. And, and the better days have made Asaph wonder if God has given up. Have, have, have we passed the point of no return? Is that what's going on here? And he asks these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever, verse 7, and never again be favorable? Has God forgotten to be gracious, verse 9? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Is this it? Is this it? Don't tell me this is as good as it gets. Is it? Is it? Yes, it's good to cry. And I want you to notice the most common pronoun in verses 1 through 6. You see it? What's the most common pronoun that you see there in verses 1 through 6? It's the word I. I. Painful adversity can turn me inward, can't it? Painful adversity can shrink my world to the size of me. And that's pretty small. And the more I focus on me, the worse I feel. And you get this cycle, right? I focus on me, I feel worse, and so I keep focusing on me and you know, has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then there's that phrase, selah, pause. Meaning, you know, we just need to sit in that for just a minute. We don't like to sit in that, but we need to. We really do. And, and, and here is what's hardest about this psalm. If you know anything about Israel's history, you will know that Israel's suffering as a nation, Israel's painful adversity, Israel's distress was self-induced, right? Uh, Judges chapter 2 verses 18 and 19 explain this. If you want to see, if you want the Old Testament summarized, it's right here. Judges 2, 18 and 19. Whenever the Lord raised up judges, and by that, the Scripture means leaders, leaders. Whenever the Lord raised up leaders for them, the Lord was with the leader, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the leader. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the leader died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods. Your God is whatever you esteem most for your identity and your meaning and your purpose and your destiny in life. And Israel went after other gods, false gods, pseudo-gods, serving them 
and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And, and it was just a cycle. It was a cycle of going after other idols, going after other false gods, and then the Lord allowing the enemies to come in. And then they would cry out, and then the Lord would take pity and send a leader and do a rescue operation, and then they'd get right back into the same trouble again. And, and this, this was the cycle. And it not only continued through the book of Judges, but it continued through Kings and Chronicles. In fact, uh, kings can be described, one king either did right in the eyes of God, or they did evil in the eyes of God. And finally, God let his people have what they wanted. And that's when Babylon and Assyria took over. Israel's suffering was self-induced. That's a cold, hard, brutal fact, but it is the truth. And church family, can I love us here? Can I give you some hard love? Why do we suffer painful adversity? There are several reasons. Um, I want to list one that is derived from this text and then two others that we see Elsewhere in Scripture, the first that we derive from the text is that some of our painful adversity is self-induced. That is, we Americans who love liberty, we take our liberty and we abuse our liberty. Uh, in a book titled, When God Doesn't Make Sense, the author says, we abuse our bodies, we poison our minds with pornography, we drive too fast, we work like there's no tomorrow, we spend money we don't have and can't possibly repay, we fuss and fight at home and then create misery for ourselves and our family. We not only borrow trouble, we go looking for it. We toy with the dragon of infidelity. We break the laws of God and then delude ourselves into thinking we've beaten the odds. And then when the bill for our sin comes due, we turn our shocked faces to heaven and cry, Why me, Lord? And the fact is, we are suffering the natural consequences of dangerous behavior that is guaranteed to produce pain. Much of our painful adversity is self-induced. Don't you remember when the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his flesh will from that flesh reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Some of our, some of our suffering is self-induced. That's it, it, just it. God's given us liberty. We've abused the liberty. And now we have to live with our, with our sin. We don't like that. And, and then we back our trucks up and dump all over God, and it's not his fault. It's our fault. And the best thing we can do is to do what 40 to 50 do every Friday night at Celebrate Recovery. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. This is the cry of someone whose life is unmanageable. And God wants us to make that cry. Have you? Will you? Self-induced suffering. We see that in Psalm 77. Now, is that the only reason why people suffer? Absolutely not. No, some of our distress occurs as the fallout of a broken world. 
when our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God, their sin unleashed cataclysmic consequences that, that have touched the world. And, and um, that's what some religious teachers call, Christian teachers call, the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean that you are as bad as you can possibly be. Total depravity means that there's nothing in this world that is untouched by sin. Nothing. Romans 8.22 says that creation groans under the weight of sin. So, so we hear groaning every time evil is committed against another person. Um, I understand that the Las Vegas shooter uh, is uh, un- undergoing an, an autopsy. His brain is being examined and studied to try to figure out, you know, why this person would do this type of thing. And the scripture is just blunt and sharp. Evil. Evil. And for that we groan. And we not only groan when humans do evil against one another, we groan We groan every time a natural catastrophe strikes, and it shows up in different ways, depending on where you live. So I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and years ago, the church that I used to attend there, the church facility was leveled by a tornado. Uh, The tornado descended, destroyed the sanctuary, and then went back up, and no other churches were destroyed. Now, how do you interpret that? You know, what, what, was the preaching that bad? <laughs> you know, if that's the case, you know, we'll, we'll, well, let's not go there. You know, you know what the best explanation as to why that tornado demolished that church? You know what the best explanation is? That's Oklahoma. That's Oklahoma. Well, why is the Midwest prone to so much flooding in the springtime? Why is that? Well, you know, snow melts. And add to that a series of colliding warm and cold fronts over the Mississippi River, and hey, it's going to flood. Why do coastal cities flood? Well, when a Category 5 hurricane smashes into that coastal city, it's going to wreak havoc. Why do planes crash? Planes crash because the law One of the laws of thermodynamics. One of the laws of thermodynamics say that things go from bad to worse. Parts wear out. Pilots make mistakes. Bad weather happens. And when you put it all together, planes crash. Uh, Jesus once asked his disciples concerning a tragedy, this huge tower, fell and uh, killed 18 people. And the disciples were curious about that tragedy. And this is what Jesus said. He said, those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Then he said this, "I, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now if Luke 13, 4 and 5 were written today, We would come to Jesus and we would say, did you hear about those who died in the hurricane or those who died in the fires or the shootings in Las Vegas? And Jesus would look into our eyes with so much love, 
like nobody ever before. And he would say, do you think this happened to them because they were worse sinners? No, unless you repent, you too will perish. See, see what's going on here? People came to Christ with these puzzling theological questions and he looked them back right in the eye and he said, friends, the most urgent need in your life right now is your own soul. And if you do not get right with God, you're gonna perish. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. I mean, we wanna speculate, we wanna pontificate in judgment as to why things like this happen. And instead, Jesus deals with our hearts. He deals with the substance of our faith. We wanna sound off on a problem. He wants to deal with our hearts. His speech was salted with fire. Nobody, nobody ever slept through a conversation with Christ. Yes, painful adversity happens because it's self-induced. And yes, it happens because of our broken world. And I'll just mention one more reason. Sometimes we're suffering painful adversity because of our faith. Did not our king say, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The Apostle Paul calls this the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings. It's a different kind of fellowship, isn't it? And when this happens, we are not to be caught off guard. We're not to be surprised. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So cry out to God. Cry out to him. Get real with him. And then let that cry have a content uh, that will change the trajectory of your life. And this is where we get to verses 10 through 20. You see, the content of our cry starts here with verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this. I will appeal to this. That's a legal term. Why do people appeal their case? They appeal their case because they want a higher court to hear their issue. And so Asaph says, I'm going to take my case to the highest court. I'm going to take it to the Lord. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. That's the content right there. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You see what's going on here? In Asaph's distress, this tendency to want to turn inward and focus and have his world shrink. Oh, my goodness. By God's grace, God reaches into this hole of his little puny kingdom and he pulls him out to this big sky kingdom of God's magnificent works. And Asaph, Asaph starts preaching to himself. <laughs> he starts, he's been listening to himself long enough and now he needs to preach to himself. A lot of our problem is that we've been listening to ourselves and instead we need to talk to ourselves. And we need, uh, we need to talk to ourselves about the mighty works and wonders of the Lord. Why so cast down, O oh my soul? Put your hope 
in God. You must remind yourself of who God is and what he's done and, and, and what he's pledged himself to do. And then, on top of that, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and defy the whole world and say, I'm going to remember the deeds of the Lord. I'm going to remember your wonders of old. And that's where we get to these beautiful verses in verses 16 through 20. God's great deliverance through the sea. You split the sea so that I could walk right through it. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The deep trembled. Your way was through the sea. Here's what you need to know. In the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew people, the ancient Hebrew people were terrified of the sea. I mean, you'll never read, uh, you'll never read a book titled Great Hebrew Naval Victories. Not there. They were terrified of the sea. Verse 19 says, your way was through the sea. The sea, why? Because the sea was a place of chaos. That's why. The sea was uncontrollable. The great waters were of great turmoil. And yet in the chaos, God was there. God was there. Could I see him? No. But he's very present. Your footprints were unseen. So in my distress, I felt heavy and weary and in doubt because of my self-induced sin, because of the sin of this broken world, because of persecution. But then I remembered the story of God because his story is a rescue story, a powerful story, a love story. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Can, can, the, can the big idea be any clearer? When I am in distress, God, God wants me to cry out and remember him. God wants me to acknowledge and remember him. God wants me to rehearse and repeat and review the story of his powerful love. God wants me to let his story overpower my story. Nothing, church family, is more important than learning how to maintain a life of purpose in painful adversity. And I see something very practical about these words remember and ponder and meditate. It means to literally go over and read scripture again and again and again and again and again. Uh, like, like Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Uh, um, Anthony Hopkins, actor, says that when he gets a movie script, he will read that movie script between 100 and 200 times uh, before production. He'll make notes in the margin. He'll, he'll scribble and doodle and imagine how it would be to be that character on stage or on screen. And, and by the time Hopkins is finished... That script is internalized. I mean, he knows his character. He is, he becomes his character. And he knows his lines and he knows everybody else's lines. And he's able to improvise. He's the personification of the script. Now, if a Hollywood actor can do that with a script a hundred times, what effect would it have on me to read a passage of scripture a hundred times? 
Oh, where would I start, Pastor? Well, we've been through the book of Philemon. And, you know, 25 verses. And, and, and 100 to 200 times rehearsing the story of Onesimus who needs to make amends to Philemon who needs to give grace and the Apostle Paul who is this peacemaker and peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You reap what you sow. And I think about that and I, I internalize that story and internalize what it means to be a peacemaker in life and or did we not read the parable of the great banquet? I've been invited to God's table, and the more I read it, and the more I internalize it, the more I realize that I'm there at the table because of God's grace, and, and as I keep reading it and internalizing it, I realize that God not only wants me to enjoy the table as his child, but to remember the servant in that parable? What's the servant do? The servant goes out and invites others to the table because the servant's heart has been so warmed by the generosity of the of the master. And then like Psalm 77 here, 20 verses. You know, I read it and meditate over it, over it, over it, over it, over it. And I read about God's deliverance through the sea. And, and then it makes me think of God's greater deliverance through a more chaotic sea, the chaos of the cross, the sea of crucifixion where God sent his son to take my sin and to take on a totally depraved world, and to take on the groaning of nature, and he died in darkness, and the earth quaked, and it was quiet. But he did not stay dead, did he? He got up, and I just keep preaching to myself, he got up. And God led his people by the hand of Moses, and that causes me to remember that today, today, God is leading me by the very hand of Jesus. And you know what happens when I keep internalizing it and repeating it? Do you know what happens? The I of verses 1 through 6 become the you of verses 13 through 20. Look at the most common pronoun, the back part of that song. It's, not, it's no longer I. It's you, Lord. What you have done, your hand is strong, your hand is powerful, and your hand is scarred from the cross itself. In my distress, in my painful adversity, God wants me to cry out and remember him and what he's done. That's Psalm 77. Randy Alcorn has written a book called Faith in the Midst of Suffering. Uh, in that book, he told about a teenager who uh, did not want to be seen in public with her mother because her mother's arms were so terribly disfigured. One day, her mother took her shopping, and uh, the mother reached out her hand to pay. Um, the clerk was horrified. Um, and later the girl was just so embarrassed. I mean, she was crying and told her mother that. And, and the mother was so full of grace. She waited about an hour before going into her daughter's room to tell her for the very first time 
about her hands and her arms. She said, sweetheart, when you were a baby, I woke up to a burning house. And your room was an inferno. Flames were everywhere. I could have gotten out the front door, but I decided that I'd rather die with you than leave you to die alone. So I chose to run through that fire and to wrap my arms around you. And then I went back through the flames and my arms were on fire. And when I got outside on the lawn, the pain was agonizing. But then I looked at you. And all I could do was rejoice that the flames hadn't touched you. And now the girl looked at her mother through a different set of eyes. Weeping in shame and gratitude, she kissed her mother's, she kissed her mother's marred hands and arms. I pray that we may learn to see the problem of evil and suffering through a new set of eyes. Church family, the hands of Christ that lead you and hold you are scarred hands. Powerful hands. Loving hands. Beautiful hands.